offended by you, said the furious men. Now you must absolve them. Welcome to McBurdo's expedition into the unknown and terrible. We have been stuck here in the ice for an eternity. Come into the captain's cabin and warm yourself before you head back out onto the decks. Welcome to my cabin. How long have we been trapped in this infernal ice pack? Or in the summer, tropical estuary. Today I shall read to you from my selection of innumerable primary sources, because the past said it better. Writers can embellish on a story that they've heard, but hearing the words of someone who actually witnessed an event, sometimes shocking, always amazing. I have not read this before, so we're going to experience it together. I'm going to break in with my opinions. Chances are, as you are a crew member of the HMS Miser, you are not easily upset by the dark and terrible. None of these are very happy. The odd one is, it's a surprise. I will warn you now that these may not have the most politically acceptable ideas or language because they come from the past and things were different then. So make yourself comfy, grab yourself a suitable beverage, and let us block out this howling wind together. We are going to do a bit of a long one, I think. It might be long. On. The Murder of Thomas Beckett. And I was so excited to find this source. So uh, let's, let's just get into it. This one is great if you know the story of Thomas Beckett. Who will rid me of this turbulent priest? Uh, Thomas Beckett was originally a big, great friend of Henry II of England. Ah, no one does it the way you do, Thomas. Thank you. I think you actually like the cold. I made you a nobleman. Why do you play at being my valet? I'm your servant, in the council chamber or here in the bath. And this was at a time when the church was growing its power and there was real conflict between the Catholic Church in England and the Crown. Uh, the Catholic Church was attempting to get people to leave their lands to the church, and many were, because that was the good and pious thing to do if they didn't have children. Henry II wasn't happy with it, so he made his friend, Thomas Beckett, who was a nobleman and not a member of the clergy, and a bit of a man's man, man about town. He thought that if he made Beckett the Archbishop of Canterbury, that uh, Beckett would do what Henry wanted, and that was absolutely not the case. It was like, Beckett had drunk the Kool-Aid and was secretly a deeply pious man all the way along. I could do more uh, if this video does well about Thomas Beckett because actually he got chased out of England, Henry sent people to try and deal with him, then he comes back to England and it's pretty brave. 
But now uh, Henry has, you know, new bishops who are loyal to him and they don't want Beckett around. And as Archbishop of Canterbury, Beckett's their boss. So finally, Henry, angry, at his hall with all his knights, according to legend, goes, who will rid me of this turbulent priest? And four of his knights go, me. Well, after the murder, then Henry is instantly horrendously contrite because he didn't mean it. He was just doing stuff. And, oh, why did this happen? I've not killed my friend and I've killed the archbishop. And, oh, it's a disaster. This is the recount of Edward Grimm. He had a bit of a role in what happened, so not as one of the monks. This might, yeah, I might do a series on, on Beckett because it's a good story. So the murder was on 29 December, 1170. So nearly a thousand years ago. It's pretty cool. So these men, not knights, but miserable wretches, when they first landed, met up with the king's officials who had already been condemned by the sentence of anathema. They assembled a force of knights and henchmen from the country, giving the false impression that they were acting on the king's order and in his name. Of course they were. The crime was easily recommended and by this claim that they had come to the business on the king's command. While Grimson, no doubt. Now gathered together and ready for any impiety on the fifth day of Christmas, that is the day after the feast of the Holy Innocents, they came together against the innocent. He likes his drama, doesn't he? The hour of dinner had finished, and the holy man and his servants had withdrawn to an inner room to transact some business in the private while a crowd waited outside in the hall. At this point, the four knights with one attendant entered. They were met with honor as servants of the king and well known. They were invited to the table as those who had served the archbishop were still dining. But they refused food, thirsting instead for blood. Therefore, at their instruction, it was announced to the archbishop that four men had come who wished to speak to him on behalf of the king. This was granted, and they were introduced, whereupon they remained in silence for a long time, not greeting the holy archbishop or speaking to him. But nor did the man of great counsel greet them immediately as they entered, so that as it says in the scriptures, by your words will you be justified. From their questioning, he might discover the inner desires of their hearts. So the holy man being Beckett. And he was made a saint after this. So, of course, at this point, he's a saint and a martyr. He is an exceptionally holy man. And as we look back in retrospect, uh, of course he was a holy sainted man, especially if you're grim. 
But after an interval, he turned to them and carefully examining the face of each, he greeted them in peace. And to be honest, I mean, no doubt Beckett knew that these dudes were here to like, because he knew the king was mad. Like four knights fresh from the crusades, apparently, uh, show up and you're like, hey, dudes, you don't want to eat at my table? You could only be here for one thing, and it's not hookers and blow. Well, maybe hookers and blow later, but... But the evil men who had made a contract with death immediately responded to his greeting with curses and sarcastically prayed for God to help him. At these bitter and malicious words, the man of God flushed deeply, now aware that the men had come with a passion for doing harm. Therefore, he who seemed to be the leader and more ready to sin than the others, Fitzurse, breathing fury, burst out in these words. We have something to say to you on the king's orders. If you wish us to say it before all, speak. But the archbishop, knowing what they were about to say, said, these things are not to be uttered in private, nor the, in chamber, but in public. But the wretches burned so much for the murder of the archbishop that if the doorkeeper had not called back the clerks, for the archbishop had ordered them all to leave, they would, as they later confessed, have impaled him on the staff of the cross which stood nearby. When those who had withdrawn had returned, he who had earlier slandered the man of God now said, Peace was made between you. The king sent you back free to your own sea, and all disputes were settled as you requested. But you violated the agreed peace, and now perversely and arrogantly Adding insult to injury, you occupy yourself in evil against your Lord. For with stubborn pride you have condemned with sentence of suspension those who assisted in crowning the king's son and raised him to kingly honor. And you also tied with the chain of anathema the servants of the king by whose counsel and wisdom the business of the realm is conducted. From this it is clear that you would take the crown away from the king's son if you had the means. By now everyone knows how you have labored to bring about the effect that which you have contrived against your lord. Therefore, if you deign to respond to the charges in the presence of the king, say so. That is why we have been sent. I love a bit of drama. The archbishop replied, It was never my wish, as God is my witness, to take the crown away from my lord the king's son or to diminish his power. Rather, I wish he had three crowns and I would help him to conquer the greatest realms of the earth according to reason and fairness. I like how it's all quite elegant. Like today would be like, if you, you're the king's man, if you, me. It was probably a bit more like that. But it is unfair for the Lord King to be angry with me as you suggest, if my men accompany me through cities and towns, and if those who were because of my proscription denied the comfort of my presence for seven years now come to meet me, 
and indeed now, where it please him, I am ready to make amends to my lord if I offended in any way. But he has forbidden me with threats from entering his cities and towns and even villages. Besides, it was by no means by me, but by the Lord Pope, that the bishops were suspended from office. Snap. You can't blame me. You can blame the Pope, who didn't like the king's new bishops, who were doing the king's will and not the Pope's will. It's all very complicated. They were suspended by you, said the furious men. Now you must absolve them. I do not deny, he said, that it was indeed done through me, but it is beyond me and entirely incongruous with my rank to absolve those whom the Pope had bound. Let them go to him, to whom flows the contempt shown to me and their mother church of Christ Canterbury. I love it. Like, oh, they're mad? Yeah, I... I I excommunicated them, but the Pope told me to, so if they have a problem, I can't go against the Pope, so go talk to the Pope. Duh. Now then, said the executioners, this is the king's command that you and all your men leave the kingdom and lands over which he has dominion. For neither you nor any of your men will have peace from this day on, you who violated the peace. To this he said, Cease your threats and quiet your brawling. I trust in the King of Heaven who suffered for his people on the cross. From this day forth, no one will see the sea between me and my church. I did not come back to flee. He who seeks me will find me here. But the King ought to not make such demands. I and my men have had enough insults thrown at us without further threats. This your king ordered, they said, and this we will make good. For you who ought to have bowed to royal majesty and deferred vengeance to his judgment, followed the decree of your furious passion and disgracefully cast the ministers and servants out of the church. To whom? The athlete of Christ. Athlete? Yes. Jogging for Jesus. Standing up to his slanders and fervor of spirit said, I will not spare anyone, no matter who he is, who presumes to violate the traditions of the Holy Roman See or the laws of Christ's church and does not voluntarily make amends, nor will I hesitate to correct the offender with ecclesiastical censure. Beckett's just totally like, yeah, whatever. Whatever, you don't intimidate me. Struck by these words, the knights sprang to their feet, not bearing any further constancy of his response. Coming near, they said, We warn you that you have spoken in danger to your head. Have you come to kill me then? He said, I have committed my cause to the judge of all, so I am not moved by threats, nor are your swords more ready to strike than my soul is ready for martyrdom. Look all you like for one who will run away, for you will find me foot to foot in the battle of the Lord. Snap. 
Therefore, as these left amid confusion and insult, he who was appropriately called the bear savagely cried out, In the king's name we command you, clerks and monks, to seize and hold this man so that he does not escape by flight before the king exacts full justice on his body. As they left, therefore, with these words, the man of God followed them to the door and called to them, Here, here you will find me putting his hand on his neck as if showing beforehand where they would strike. He returned then to the place where he had earlier been sitting and consoled his men in the Lord and told them not to fear. And as it seemed to us who were there, he settled down as undaunted. He who alone is being sought to be killed as if they had come to invite him to a wedding. And soon after, the butchers returned in hauberks with swords, axes and hatchets, and other weapons suitable for the crime which they had conceived in their minds to carry out. And when they found the doors had been barred and unopened when they knocked, they turned aside by a more private approach through an orchard to a wooden partition, which they split open, cut down, and demolished. You can just imagine. Bam! Terrified by the fearful and uproarious din, the servants and almost all the clerks were scattered this way and that, like sheep before wolves, and those who remained called out for him to flee into the church. But he, mindful of his former promise that he would not, in fear of death, run away from the killers of the flesh, refused flight. You kind of get the feeling that he is just completely resigned that this is what's going to happen and he's obviously not good with it because no one's going to be good with being murdered, but he's come to peace with it? Is that the right way to say it? It is, I have to say, of, of martyrdoms particularly magnificent. For in such a case, one ought not to flee from city to city, but rather give an example to his people that everyone should prefer to succumb to the sword rather than see divine law scorned and sacred canons subverted. But equally, he who had for a long time burned with love of martyrdom, having attained, as it seems, an opportunity to fulfill it, feared lest it be deterred or even pass him by completely if he fled to the church. I think that's a bit pointed too. Like, yeah, he he decided he was going to be a martyr and this was the rock he was dying on, so like, just bring it. The monks persisted, saying that it was not right for him to be absent from Vespers, which were just then being celebrated in the church. He remained immobile in, in the place of less reverence, determined to await the happy hour of his consummation, which he had longed for with many sighs and sought with much devotion. Lest, as has been said, the reverence of the sacred church prevent even the impious from their purpose and cheat the holy man of his heart's desire. So, yeah, definitely Grimm thinks that you know, Beckett knows this is going to happen and he just, he's running towards it. He's happy to embrace it. If this is the day, this is the day. And he's not, he's prepared. You sometimes hear about that with, with prisoners of war where they're like, just, just do it. Just, just kill me. Just get it over with. I'm, I'm ready. I've, I've made my peace with God. For 
sure that in martyrdom he would cross over from this misery after he had returned from exile he is reported to have said in the hearing of many here you have a martyr beloved of god and a true saint alfege alfegi alfege i don't know that one divine compassion will provide you with another and it will not be long what a sincere and untroubled conscience had the good shepherd who in the cause and protection of his flock did not wish to postpone his own death when he could have, nor evade the executioner so that it might have satiated with the blood of the shepherd, the fury of the wolves might keep away from the sheep. Then, when neither by argument nor plea could he be persuaded to take refuge in the church, the monks seized him unwillingly and resisting, dragged, carried, and pushed him, not heeding how much protest he tried to get them to let him go, and guided him right up to the church. Truthfully, this makes sense. I mean, they don't want him to die, and they know that for the the, the knights, it's going to be a pretty serious, like, crime. There's killing someone, and then there's killing someone in a church, and then there's killing the archbishop of the church in his church. I mean, that's, that's like a whole bunch of gods going to be mad at you. But the door through which one entered the monk's cloister had been carefully barred many days before, and now, with the executioners pressing on their heels, all hope of escape seemed to be gone. Nevertheless, one of them rushed up, took hold of the bolt, and to the great astonishment of all, he pulled it back as if with as much ease as if it were only stuck with glue. That's in one of those, like, wah! Though, apparently, uh, in another monk's version, uh, they say that two of the cellarers, Richard and William, heard the disturbance and they opened the door from the other side. So maybe the other guy was like, just as they were like, Kick. but as soon as the monks had withdrawn within the doors of the church, the four said knights followed on their heels with swift strides. Along with them was a certain subdeacon armed with the same malice as the knights called Mauclair, fittingly on account of his worthlessness, who showed no reverence to God or the saints, as what followed proved. When the holy archbishop entered the monastery, the monks broke off the vespers which they had begun to offer to God and ran up to him glorifying God, now seeing their father, whom they had heard was dead, alive, and unharmed. And bolting the folding door of the church, they made haste to keep off the enemy from the killing of the shepherd. But the wonderful athlete turned to them and ordered them to open the doors of the church, saying, It is not right to turn the house of prayer, the church of Christ, into a fortress which, even if it is not closed, is enough of a defense for its children. There's a part of me, like, that's like, people are trying to save you and you're making it exceptionally difficult for them. I mean, these men are trying really, really hard to save your life, so could you let them save your life just a little bit? And we will triumph over the enemy by not, not by fighting, but by suffering, for we have come to suffer, not resist. That's a bit annoying. Now I kind of want to smack him a little bit, which I know is wrong because he's the hero. We love you, Thomas Beckett. But, really? But it could be, too. You know, once you've got your mind set on something, it would be really awful. Like, okay, I'm ready. Just get it over with. No, really, just get it over with. 
Without delay, the sacrilegious men came into the house of peace and reconciliation with swords drawn, instilling terror in the onlookers by the sight of them and the clatter of armor alone. Those who were present were disturbed and shaken, for now those who had been singing vespers had hurried to the deadly spectacle. Some of the other people who wrote about this, they get to the point a little faster. I could drown us in footnotes, but I won't. And in the spirit of fury, the knights cried out, Where is Thomas Becket, traitor to the king and the kingdom? When he did not respond, they shouted with greater vehemence, where is the archbishop? To this call unafraid, and as is written, the righteous will be brave as a lion without fear. He came forward from the steps where he had been carried by the monks in fear of the knights, and in a perfectly clear voice answered, Here I am, no traitor to the king, but a priest. What do you want of me? And he who had earlier already said that he did not fear them said, See, I am ready to suffer in the name of him who redeemed me with his blood. Far be it that on account of your swords I flee or withdraw from righteousness. This said, he turned to the right, under a pillar with the altar of the Blessed Mother of God and ever-Virgin Mary on the one side and on the other that of the Holy Confessor Benedict. By their example and support, now that he had been crucified to the world and its desires, he suffered and overcame whatever the butchers did to him with as much constancy of spirit as if he had not been present in the flesh. Following him, the butchers said, Absolve and restore to communion those who you excommunicated and return to office those you have suspended. He said to them, No satisfaction has been made and I will not absolve them. Then they said, you will now die and get what you deserve. And this is where in the movie they would do the action, but no, because Thomas Beckett has to have some back and forth and big heroic more moments. Then he said, I am prepared to die for my Lord so that in my blood the church may find liberty and peace, but I forbid you in the name of Almighty God to harm my men, whether clerk or lay in any way. How piously did the illustrious martyr provide for his men, how prudently for him Himself, lest a bystander be harmed, an innocent crushed, lest an unhappier outcome for a bystander obscure his glory as he hastened to Christ. It was quite fitting that the soldier martyr should follow in the steps of his captain and savior, who then, he was being sought by the wicked, said, If you seek me, let these men go. Trigger warning. We're at the good part. Therefore they rushed at him and laid their sacrilegious hands on him, roughly manhandling and dragging him, intending to kill him outside of the church or carry him away in chains as they later admitted, Are we dying of me to kill him? <laughs> but since he could not easily be moved from the pillar, one of them attached himself and applied himself particularly fiercely. The archbishop pushed him away, calling him a pimp, pimp, and said, do not touch me, Reginald, you who by right owe me fealty and obedience. You and your accomplices are acting like fools. But the knight was inflamed 
with terrible fury at this rebuff and brandishing his sword against the consecrated crown said, I do not owe you fealty or obedience against fidelity to my lord, the king. You know, in movies when they're like, oh, so much blah, 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 blah. It's not realistic. They just, no, because apparently not. The invincible martyr, seeing then that the hour was at hand when the miseries of mortal life would be ended and that the crown of immortality prepared for him and promised to him by the Lord was now in his reach, bent his head in the manner of prayer, joined his hands together and lifted them up and commended his cause to that of the church to God, St. Mary, and the blessed martyr, Dennis. Please, Dennis. Hardly had he said the words than the evil knight, fearing that he would be snatched by the people and escape alive, suddenly leapt on him and wounded God's sacrificial lamb in the head, cutting off the top of the crown. You're like, they cut off apparently a chunk of his head. We might get into the gory details of that. If not, I will try and remember. Cutting off the top of the crown, which the oil of holy chrism had dedicated to God, the same blow almost cut the arm, cut off the arm of a witness, who, as everyone fled, monks and clerks steadfastly stood by the bishop and held him in his arms until his arm was struck. The suspense is terrible. I hope it'll last. It's hard to picture that one in your head. I, I guess they're holding on, and the guy was like, "What?" And then it like went through Beckett's head, and then into the arm of the other guy. Behold the simplicity of the dove. Behold the wisdom of the serpent in this martyr who offered his body to his persecutors so that he preserve unharmed his head, that his soul in the church, nor did he devise a defense or trap against the killers of the flesh. Oh, worthy shepherd who, lest the sheep be torn to pieces, so bravely presented himself to the jaws of the wolves. Are you feeling the drama? Because he had abandoned the world, the world wishing to crush him unconsciously raised him up. Then he received another blow in the head, but still remained immovable. But at the third blow, he bent his knees and elbows, offering himself as a living sacrifice, saying in a low voice, I guess not having lost the top of his head, he was still conscious. For the name of Jesus and the well-being of the church, I am prepared to embrace death. According to someone else, he actually rebuked the gladiators with all authority. But as he lay prostrate, the third knight inflicted a grave wound. With this blow, the sword was dashed on the pavement, and the crown, which was large, was separated from the head, so that the blood white from the brain, and the brain equally red from the blood, brightened the floor with the colors of the lily and the rose, the virgin and the mother, and the life and the death of the confessor and the martyr. The fourth night, warded off by those arriving on the scene so that the others could carry out their murder more freely and wantedly. Like, <gasps> dudes, I don't think I want to be a part of this. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't. Let me give you more space so you can like get your murder on and I'll just like exit stage left, running swiftly. 
but the fifth, not a knight, but a clerk who had come in with the knights, so that a fifth stroke was not lacking to the martyr, who in other things had imitated Christ, had put his foot on the neck of the holy priest and precious martyr, and, horrible to say, scattered the brains with the blood over the pavement. Let us go, knights. He called out to the others. This fellow will not get up again. Huh. The drama. So this book comes from the lives of Thomas Beckett, selected sources translated and annotated by Michael Staunton. And yeah, I do one on the aftermath of the murder because what happened next was pretty exciting too. So thank you for sticking with it. Staying for the very end. They cut off his head, dashed out his brains, so they spread across the floor. Tune in next week. Terrified by the fearful and, and 